Hi, and welcome back to the Laudable Pursuit Podcast, contemplative and transformative education for those seeking Masonic light. I'm Nate Warren. And I'm Jason Marshall. And I'm Matt Anthony. Last week, we talked about our interpersonal roles in Masonry. What is our place in affecting a brother's path through life, specifically in terms of empowering him? We had somebody comment, and I thought that it was important enough to address it. So I'll just read this, and then you guys can talk about it. Uh, Brother Blake Humphrey from Norman, Oklahoma, says, Great job, guys. I look forward to future podcasts. I agree wholeheartedly that there are vast avenues that are available for Freemasons to express themselves and find success in whatever direction their heart for the craft takes them. It is easy to get caught up in all that Freemasonry has to offer. It speaks in many ways to each of us. I believe, however, that we should fortify that relationship. That foundation needs to be cared for so that it may foster new Masons as it did or should have for us. If we lose sight of the past by staring too far into the future, there will be no one to carry the mantle when we are gone. What are your thoughts on how Blue or Mother Lodges function in the success of Masons? Well, I, I think it's key as far as you know, building the success of the brother and obviously for the future of the foundation to have strong blue lodges because the blue lodges are what brings a brother into the fraternity. And if you don't have a good blue lodge experience, then it doesn't really matter how good dependent bodies might be. If you finish your degrees, you probably won't be active or come back. And so it's essential. And that's, that's one reason why there is somewhat of a movement to really return focus to the Blue Lodges and not focus as much on the appendant bodies. But a Blue Lodge or a Mother Lodge is really nothing more than just a group of individual people. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's necessarily the responsibility of a lodge, but the people in that lodge. Because the, the members are the lodge. There's right, no yeah. distinction between... A lodge isn't formed because of a building. A lodge is formed whenever those brothers are there. Mm-hmm. So it is incumbent upon the actual brothers to make that happen. Well, I mean, if what our first podcast was about helping a brother succeed either in his personal life or uh, just other aspects of his life, then obviously it's key to have a lodge which is made up of his fellow brethren that will help him along that path. The whole point of a blue lodge is to have a group of brethren that will help and support their new brothers or a new brother or other brothers in the lodge to succeed. So obviously it is as brother Humphrey was alluding to in the uh, response that is key to the Masonic experience is to have a lodge of brethren that mutually help each other succeed. Well, that is yeah. the Masonic experience, right? Yes. Right. Because I think we've all seen that. We've seen guys that have come into the lodge where they didn't even move past the the EA degree because they didn't find that support and that fellowship within the lodge. We also find other brothers that they may have taken five years between their EA degree and their fellow craft or their master mason because they didn't find that within the lodge. So it's it's super important for guys to be able to find that connection, that fellowship, that that strength within a blue lodge to root them and make them want to return. Well, absolutely. And even the appendant bodies build off of the Blue Lodge. So if you don't have a fulfilling Blue Lodge experience, all the appendant bodies, it's you know building a superstructure on top of the first three degrees. And if it's a faulty foundation, the whole system crumbles. We're coming again to you tonight from the Guthrie Scottish Rite Cigar Lounge. I'm enjoying an Arturo Fuente Forbidden X 13. And tonight I'm trying something a little different. Hibiscus and pomegranate 
vodka with soda water. And I'm enjoying a CAO concert from that I bummed off Brother Nate because my cigar box here at the Cigar Lounge is empty and he was good enough to bring me one. And I'm also trying something a little different and enjoying a white Russian, or as the dude would call it, a lovely Caucasian. And I'm enjoying a Drew Estate Naturals Dirt Torpedo and a uh, Caucasian as well, as I abide. We all abide. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) It's not on the license plate. (laughs) So let's get into tonight's episode, which actually kind of progresses from the last episode where we talked about the pathway to success. Um, Tonight I want to move toward the pathway of self-discovery, which I believe is the quintessence of Freemasonry. And so tonight I ask, is Freemasonry spiritual? Many people equate spirituality with religion, but I think there is a big separation between the two. So just to cover the bases, is Freemasonry a religion? We know we've been asked that by many people, I'm sure. Well, I, th- I think that you have to first hit on, you know, what is religion? Well, I mean, that's basis. Religion is an organized system of beliefs that is organized around the worship of a single god or goddess, if it's a monotheistic religion, or a system of gods, if it's polytheistic. And within a religion, you have a clearly defined rules and modes of worship, such as how to pray, when to pray, who to pray, to holidays, sacrifices, offerings, etc. Also in religion, you have some sort of plan of salvation. If you do something correctly, the moral code of conduct, or if you pray enough, or you worship the right deities, you get into heaven or some sort of foundation, you won't be reincarnated. Um, And also within religion, you have a clearly defined hierarchy uh, dogma. You also have a clearly defined group of who is, who isn't a member, what sect you're from. And in Freemasonry, there is no specific deity. In fact, one of the prerequisites of becoming a member is that you have a belief in some sort of a deity. So if you're going to have a religion, requiring that somebody already believes in a deity is a really bad way to start a religion. Also, Freemasonry, obviously, since it's not a religion or believes in a certain uh, specific kind of deity, there's no specific way of worship. There's no plan of salvation. So, yeah, Masonry is not a religion now. Okay. So is Masonry spiritual? Well, I mean, it depends on sometimes vocabulary gets a little wishy-washy because some people, you know, consider spirituality to almost be a type of religion. Um you know, as far as spirituality, usually it's very personalized and individualistic. So spirituality doesn't share the same rigid structures in regard to belief in certain deity or form. Usually there is a sense or a belief that there is some sort of a God, spirit, or creative energy, but it is up to the individual to define what that is and how to worship or commune with it. Uh, Obviously, since there's not a prescribed hierarchy or prescribed system of dogma, there isn't a defined mode or system of worship. So that really fits in with Freemasonry because while religion has you know, a very rigid hierarchy for a certain kind of deity, spirituality is usually more about the personal journey of the individual communing with God, spirit, energy, 
So spirituality could be anything if you feel it, right? And if it's powerful enough to you to tap into some sort of creativity or energy or, or inspiration, I guess, then it could be spiritual. Yeah, anything that's transformative could be considered spiritual. Masonry is completely transformative, so it has to be spiritual. Right. And so we talked about the definitions and why it is, isn't. So I'm asking you now, is Freemasonry spiritual? Yeah, uh, because Freemasonry at its you know, essence, is a, it is an initiatic experience where you bring someone in that's profane and they through the teachings of the fraternity, you work on your astral or your soul. But it's instead of religion where it's usually done in a very rigid, uh, prescribed way uh, with certain moralities and beliefs that you have to adhere to in Freemasonry, it's much more of a personal journey. You are the one that has to go work on your ashler. So earlier you mentioned profane, just real quick in case somebody is not familiar with that word, how do you mean it? Well, profane just means that anyone that hasn't been initiated, anyone that's not a, within our context, anyone that's not a Mason. So Jason, earlier you were talking about uh, the individual work on the Ashler and the path. What is the path? Well, I mean, Freemasonry is an initiatic path, and I think that's where some of the confusion comes in on whether or not Freemasonry is religion, because some of the structure of Freemasonry, even though it's not a religion and it's much more spiritual in nature, does mirror some of the ways that religion works, where, you know, different, whereas a religion has a very structured um, system of beliefs and practices that are designed to make a member commune with deity through the structured way. Freemasonry is more spiritual in nature because it is very individualistic and, you know, it's all up to the individual. I mean, there's no tests in Freemasonry. There's, you know, we tell you as an apprentice that, you know, use the uh, 24-inch gauge to divide your time, the common gavel to divest your mind and conscience of the vices and superfluities of life, but that's on you. It's your own path. But if you actually reflect on those tools and do the inner work, you become a better person. And that the Masonic system is a system that's supposed to take you through that transformation. As an inner apprentice, you are a new initiate, you know, represents youth, and then as a fellow craft, it's manhood, and you're supposed to continue the journey, use the working tools of a fellow craft, and then eventually as a master mason, that's the end of the journey. And it even follows the path uh, outlined in the hero's journey by joseph campbell where you have these stages of development that bring somebody from a call which would be a neophyte in in most initiatic traditions all the way through the return and along the journey is the different stages of development and it's you know such as encountering the shadow uh, within the psyche so it's all work that takes somebody from a rough and rude state to a refined and, you know, I don't think you can ever reach a perfect Ashler stage, but that's the ultimate goal. So what's the goal of the path? What, what happens throughout those phases and where do you finally hope to arrive? Well, not to sound cliche, but it's the return. It's the refining of the rough Ashler into the perfect Ashler. Well, it's where you also help the world too. I mean, that's part of the return. Yeah. It's somewhat like the, the shamanic journey where, it's individualistic in that you're going off and you're pursuing this thing on your own, but the goal is to eventually 
once that ashlar has become perfect you're supposed to take that knowledge and come back and help disseminate and share and improve your your fellow man with that information and it's a continuous journey too because sometimes people think that it's just one arc through your life but really your entire life is long arcs and short arcs so within the masonic fraternity you could almost view the first three degrees of the blue lodge as being one long arc or you can view each degree to be its own short arc that kind of takes the person through an entire cycle and as matt said the end goal is after you have refined your asher to take that back out into the world and that's really hit that's really hit hard in the scottish right degrees where i mean you're supposed to make yourself a better person but that's not good enough i mean you have to help the world at large help your fellow brethren and that kind of ties into what we talked about last week that that freemasonry what makes it special is that you have a group of men who are all on this journey together and you're supposed to help each other on this journey you know it's almost a cliche but light added to light right because if you find that light what good is it to keep it to yourself your the the goal is to eventually share that light with others so what does it look like what's the actual the process what how does it change what are you learning what are you changing are you changing the way you do things are you are you able to change your thoughts or are you changing yourself? How? Well, you're, you're changing yourself. I mean, that's the only thing that you can change is your own inner self. Uh, young in the process of individuation, it is about exploring the psyche and reordering it. Uh, you know, Young talks about how uh, as you're young, your ego develops. And so from uh, childhood through adolescence, even to young adulthood, your ego is in control. That's why we do a bunch of stupid stuff. And we're very prideful. Where eventually, usually, you know, mid to late adulthood, the actual self, which is the organizing principle of the psyche, starts taking over. And through that process, it cha- totally changes everything. It changes how you think about things, your emotions, your feelings. And, you know, if you're on the path, you should be continually changing and improving yourself. I can look back at thoughts and feelings and beliefs that I had two or three years ago that shocked me today, that I cannot believe I thought that. I cannot believe I said that. In fact, I'll look back at even some of my writings from two or three years ago, and I'm like, holy crap, you know, I cannot believe I thought that was true, mm-hmm. which is why I don't ever read anything I write. <laughs> Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think of the progress along the path as self-discovery. The more you know about yourself or the more you discover about your true self, then you can't help but change. So like you said, when you look back at some of the things you used to think or feel, um, it shocks you. That's not because they aren't true. They may not be true anymore, but they were true. You just moved to a different place. You didn't necessarily change. You just may have gone to a deeper level of what motivates you or what makes you think the way you do. And I think the deeper we can go, the more we can strip away, the more authenticity we can find. Absolutely. And and that journey can actually be very frightening um, I mean, if you look at the Hiramic legend, you have you know the ruffians who represent ignorance, fanaticism, and tyranny, and those are all dark parts that each of us have, whether you want to admit it or not. Every one of us have ignorance, 
fanaticism and tyranny within ourselves. And through the journey, you have to encounter those. And that can be a painful encounter, just like Hiram's encounter was painful. But you have to encounter those in in order for transformation to actually take place. And as Young says, that can feel like death. I mean, it can literally feel like death. And that brings us, you know, what's known as the dark night of the soul period. So Jason, you've written a book called The Path. Uh, Tell me about that. Well, really, The Path came out of kind of my own journey that began before I was even a member of the fraternity. I kind of had my own dark night of the soul experience when I was in undergrad where I was taking a bunch of comparative religion and philosophy courses. There was a time before I decided to sell my soul out and become an attorney that I was actually thinking about going into some sort of you know ministry. And I was thinking about getting a maybe a double bachelor's or a minor in comparative religion and philosophy. And I took a class that basically examined some of the major world religions. And uh, at the end of the class, we had to write our own personal religious philosophy. Well, you know, I grew up in a small rural town in uh, Oklahoma. And so I had a very strong Christian background. And I remember as I was going through the course, I was looking at the different religions and taking the class through the viewpoint of a fundamentalist Christian. And when I got to the second semester part, towards the end where you had to write your own personal philosophy, I was writing it as, you know, all these other religions and traditions were wrong. And it re- I really had a strong, you know, just breakthrough that I had been viewing Throughout the entirety of the course, I was almost casting judgment against these other religions and beliefs that I was superior to these other beliefs somehow. And so that was kind of the initial break for me that started. Then I, after the class ended, I started studying these religions on my own just to gain a better understanding of myself, my own beliefs, if I believed something, you know, what was the basis for those beliefs? And it really turned into a personal path where, you know, I I still identified as a Christian, but by looking at these other religions and systems, I understood that better. Where, you know, Jesus talks about charity in the Bible and charity is discussed in church, but Whenever I would maybe study the, you know, Islamic concept of the zakat, I think that's how you say it, uh, where it's mandatory charity, which sounds like almost the opposite of charity, but it would help me understand Christian charity better, or uh, you know, contemplative practices in Buddhism would help shed light on passages from Jesus, and so you know, all of the religions of the world our paths to commune with the creator and whatever the creator is in the religion. And in the spiritual context, that's what, you know, the path of development is what it's all about because, you know, religion and spirituality don't have to be mutually exclusive. I mean, you can be, you know, I kind of, at this point in my life, I identify more as spiritual as opposed to religious, which most people roll their eyes at and say it's a cop-out, but I mean, that's really where I am is that I am more on my own 
personal relationship with the divine. But again, that doesn't have to be mutually exclusive because we all, I mean, there are people who are very religious, but they're not spiritual. There's a lot of people who are spiritual, but not religious. And, you know, it's, what's actually dangerous is whenever you find somebody who is religious with not, but not spiritual because they haven't developed that personal relationship with whatever deity it is. And that's where you get, you know, terrorism, fundamentalism. So I think that's one of the beauties of the fraternity is that while, and that's one of the things I was blown away with when I joined the fraternity is that it is an inclusive fraternity where you have men from all different religions and backgrounds that are members. And everybody's on the spiritual path. And again, it is light added to light. I can sit and lodge with a Buddhist, and I am not Buddhist, but I can learn from the Buddhist or the Buddhist way of, of thinking. And that helps my own journey, my own, my own understanding. I think that's really interesting what you're just saying about the experience you gained from that college course because that's the exact same experience that I gained from masonry, specifically the Scottish Rite. And I think it also ties back to the original question is masonry spiritual because that is the exact experience I got from going through the Scottish Rite. It made me step back and, and really examine my own beliefs and to begin to accept the other religions of the world as, as being equally valid with the spiritual practice that I grew up with. For the first time in my life, I had to take that step back and, and not look through the prism that I was given to step back and also not judge, but also see the validity in those paths that we're all heading down the same path. And that's why I would say that masonry is spiritual. Well, I know when I joined the Scottish Rite, it, it just totally blew me away because I actually had started my own personal path three or four years before I joined the fraternity. And I'd even started writing my book before I joined the fraternity. And when I started writing the book, it was really small. At first it started as my own personal notes as I was studying the different religions and working with various teachers and people were like, Oh, that's really, really good. So I'd kind of expand on them. Then finally somebody said, you should turn it into a book. But I remember when I got to the Scottish rites, some of the concepts as far as, you know, the, the, you know, spark of life, the universal spirit that just blew me away. Cause those are some things that I had kind of come to my own conclusions on that, you know, late nights kind of soul wrenching wrestling <laughs> things. And then, you know, to have a group that was accepting of that, that didn't try to put you in a box of you're this religion or you're this sect. And if you believe this, you're right or you're wrong, that it's a very inclusive and welcoming group. And I think that's essential because, you know, in masonry, nobody tries to uh, proselytize. <laughs> nobody tries to, you know, force their beliefs on you. It's very welcoming, and again, we're all on the same path and journey, so we can all work towards the common goal. And, you know, in the world today where people are blowing themselves up and killing each other over, you know, the, the name for deity or uh, they don't like your sect of a certain religion, to have a place where we can all come together and truly be a brotherhood of men under the fatherhood of God. And that's one of the things that I really picked up when I joined the fraternity. Um, I'm not sure if somebody gave it to me or if it just came to me. But I've had this mantra that 
I just I repeat over and over and over all the time, and it's just open your mind. And Freemasonry has really helped because within the fraternity, I've met and socialized with and become dear friends with people who I probably before never would have. Uh, there's people of different political backgrounds, different faiths, um, in all gamuts of life. And by adopting that mantra of just open your mind to accept everything as valid if someone else believes it because it's obviously valid to them, there's probably merit in there somewhere that you can probably latch on to a piece of it. And if you can experience multiple religions or political views or, or just people in general and learn from each of those, then I think the conglomeration will be ultimately the most beneficial. And so that, to me, is where the spirituality of Freemasonry comes into play. It's something that does spark a change within yourself, and you actually go out and chase it because you can feel the positive energy building, and you want that. That's the whole point of why we're here. Absolutely, and that's kind of what goes back into the some of the shamanic aspects of masonry and, and your journey within masonry. So by being able to associate with men that you would normally associate with because of their political or religious backgrounds and normal life, it makes it that much easier to bring the light back to everyone else in the profane world because you're no longer cut off and isolated. You're more willing and able to share that light with people outside of your your own paradigm. Right. And so, Jason, you, you talked about your book, that you had started writing it, um, before you joined the fraternity, was there much of it done after you joined? Yeah, there was quite a bit of the book was written after I joined the fraternity. Um, I think it blew me away because what I had already written really coincided with the fraternity before I joined it. And so sometimes some of the quotes, especially in the Scottish Rite rituals, were almost direct passages that I had already written. But it helped solidify that my thinking and thoughts were okay because you know as matt says within the fraternity you meet men from different backgrounds and spiritual faiths and when you don't have that though you can kind of feel like you're on an island and i know uh, i'm on the education committee for my valley and that is something that a lot of the candidates will say during the breakout sessions that oh my goodness you know, this is so accepting and loving. I haven't experienced this. I've always felt like I was on an island, that I was crazy or wrong to really think about th think about certain things the way I do or not believe things that that's okay. And unfortunately, in our world, truly accepting someone and just loving them as a person is a rarity. I mean, if you look at even our you know, political background or our current political system, you don't have to spend too many, too much time on Facebook. And I mean, you have to conform. You're either a liberal or you're conservative. You can't be anywhere in the middle. And, you know, sometimes I think uh, I have a friend on Facebook who once said that, and I'm sure he got the quote from someone else that, you know, you're probably on the right path when, uh, conservatives think you're a crazy liberal and liberals think you're a crazy conservative that you're being true to yourself. And again, the path is all about self-knowledge, right? Self-discovery. So 
as you began to discover yourself and delve into that work, how did that change your day-to-day life? It changed me dramatically. I was fairly closed off and, and fairly, I'll be honest, intolerant up until the point that I joined the fraternity. The experiences and the lessons learned from the degrees, and especially within the Scottish Rite, completely opened me up and made me step back and reevaluate everything that I'd thought and everything I'd believed up to that point and made me far more tolerant and open and wanting to explore and go further down the path. Well, I know that it changed me dramatically because I have friends that I was friends with prior to joining the fraternity and I met my wife and I was actually married before I joined the fraternity. And there are several of my longtime friends, my wife, who will say, you know, you've changed. And they don't mean that in a, ne- in a negative way, but that I have changed. I, I think I have become much more tolerant, much more accepting. I don't rush to judge as much as I used to. You know, being a lawyer, I think that's a that's a constant struggle for me. <laughs> um, but I'm not, I think more than anything, I am much more comfortable in my own skin with who I am instead of having developed a persona that's just built up and caked on uh, with things that I never really had thought about or examined for myself, I've been able to break that away to the point where I am who I am and I'm comfortable with that. And the beautiful thing about the fraternity is that my brothers accept me for who I am. I think it's interesting why you say that you're, you feel more comfortable in your own skin. I, I do as well. But that journey was not an easy journey. It was a very, very uncomfortable journey for myself personally, and I'm sure it was for you to have to step back and reevaluate everything that you believed. And and I went through a very long period of, of self-reflection and, and self-doubt and having to really reevaluate everything that I had ever been handed to me that I was supposed to accept and believe. But now for the first time in my life, I was having to actually evaluate it myself and test it myself and see if it really held up to the ideals that I that I knew to be true within me for myself. Well, and that journey is absolutely terrifying. And I think that the beauty of the Masonic system is that you have brothers there who act as mentors. You know, Young says that it's not a journey that should be undertaken alone, that you should have guides and psychopomps to help you within that system. And that's one of the things I've been blessed with, you know, finding mentors in the fraternity that can ha- have already been down this path that I'm going down that can offer me, you know, advice and help. And then also brothers who are undertaking the same journey as I am, and we can kind of help each other out, balance each other. And, and another one of the beauties of the fraternity, and that's what makes it different than a religion, is that while the fraternity encourages you to undertake this journey it doesn't prescribe what you have to believe it really leaves it up to you to undertake this journey and to discover your own truth and that's very different than what a religion does i think that's so true and without that that sacred space that masonry provides most of us would never take that time to become self-aware and evaluate the beliefs that we have and we've held true so you talked about the struggle, and we mentioned it earlier, the term dark night of the soul um, and how painful and difficult it would be, uh, or it is, uh, to go through that thing. But why is it so painful, do you think? Why is it so hard 
to say, okay, well, this is who I am, or why, you know what I mean? Why is it so hard to let go of the indoctrination that you've been given? Because up to that point in your life, that is your identity. You identify with the beliefs that you've been handed, the beliefs that you've, you've adopted. And to have those challenged, more especially to challenge them yourself, becomes very uncomfortable. You begin, for the first time in your life, truly wrestling with your own ego. And it, the ego does not want to let go. But it is a laudable pursuit, after all, to know yourself as you were intended to be, as you were originally created. The supreme goal is to return to your origin, to be who you were originally. Everything else is just baggage piled on. And I think for me, that's where the spiritual context of the fraternity and this path comes in. Well, that's why you have almost every religion has some sort of creation myth that involves the fall of man afterwards. And then, in a way, religion is man's journey back to Eden, back to the beginning, back to the source. And, you know, going back to, you know, psychology, you know, we have this persona, we have this mask that we've built up through life that, you know, I am my religion, I am my job, I am my social standing. And when you take that off, it's frightening because you, f you face the shadow, which is all the negative uh, feelings and emotions and thoughts. And you look, you know, when you remove the nice shiny mask that you have presented to the world and you look in the mirror and you see the shadow staring back at you and you have to face that and integrate that into your being that yes i am these thoughts and emotions and i have to deal with these thoughts and emotions and truly deal with them because that's part of the persona as you go through life instead of dealing with thoughts issues emotions and situations you well no i don't have to because you know my persona is above that and now I have to face these. I have to face it head on. I cannot run away from it anymore. And that's where the dark night of the soul comes because you literally come to a situation where you have two options. You can either face the shadow or you can run away. And that's what's so great about the fraternity is that when you face your shadow, when you face that dweller on the threshold, while it is an individual path, an individual pursuit, you're not alone within masonry. You're surrounded by men that are, are seeking to, to move beyond their own dwellers on the threshold. And so that while it is your own path and you, it is something you have to work through alone, you truly aren't alone and that you've got other men that are right there with you. It's an individual path because we're obviously all doing individual work to get to know ourselves. But we do it together as a lodge, as a body, as brothers. So to kind of tie into our last episode, can we help our brothers on their path? Yes, we can. And, and like I said in the last episode, the biggest thing in helping that brother on their path is just being there for them. Being a supportive voice without judgment, being open to anything that they're going through, and sharing our own experiences with them. And that's why I think that Freemasonry is spiritual versus religious because throughout our collective journeys I hope that there's no attempt at conversion 
or to show a way that is successful because anybody's way is going to be completely different from another person's. There's no point. Well, I think there's a point of distinction. You can you can point out what you have found to be successful, but I think the danger is in saying that this is the way to be successful. And you also can't force a brother on his path. As Matt said, you can be there and be supportive of him, but it is an individual journey. And so you have to let the brother's journey unfold as it will. And so that brings me to this next question. I almost hesitate to ask it, but we'll see if we can work through it. Um, Do you have any advice that you could give to a brother who is experiencing his own dark night? And I don't mean to say that you've had yours or I've had mine and we've worked our way through it. And so now we can kind of coach someone else, but we're in the midst of the struggle, all of us. So what would you say to somebody that maybe comes to you and, and relays this information? I honestly want to quote a David Bazan song, and that's let go of what you know and honor what exists. That's the biggest thing is just to be able to let go and step back and accept things for what they are and, and to not be a slave to your current paradigm. My advice would be to just simply not stop. I mean, to get to the point of the dark night of the soul took work to get there. So basically you have the option of facing it and working through it or retreating. And if you retreat, all of that work to get to that point is for nothing. And don't be afraid to talk to your brother. Seek out mentors, find brethren who are also on the path of development and talk to them, develop relationships. And, you know, I, I don't think that the dark night of the soul is a, is a one-shot thing. I, th- I think it is the entire path, the entire spiritual journey is cyclical. And so I think you constantly will return back to another dark night of the soul, another dark night of the soul. And if you find someone who's been on the path for a long time, I guarantee you that they have also encountered numerous dark nights of the soul. And they'll be able to get help guide you. And again, it's your journey. And they shouldn't say this is what you have to do or this is what you should now believe or think when you come out of it. But there are people in the fraternity that are there to help you and they will be more than willing to walk with you. And I think that completely ties into what the brother who wrote uh, a comment on the previous podcast was, was asking us about. Why is it important to have a strong Blue Lodge foundation it's having those brothers there that you can go to whenever you're going through the dark night of the soul. One of the things I'd like to offer to the audience before we end this podcast tonight is a chapter from the Tao Te Ching. It's the uh, Stephen Mitchell translation. Can you coax your mind from its wandering and keep to the original oneness? Can you let your body become supple as a newborn child's? Can you cleanse your inner vision until you see nothing but the light? Can you love people and lead them without imposing your will? Can you deal with the most vital matters by letting events take their course? Can you step back from your own mind and thus understand all things, giving birth and nourishing, having without possessing, acting with no expectations, leading and not try to control? This is the supreme virtue. We'd like to encourage everybody to keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram. We publish articles one to two times a week on our website, thebottlepursuit.com. Also, our website is home to our Gallery of Light. Here we post inspirational or striking quotes and images that we find applicable to masonry. 
As always, we welcome submissions of any kind, art, music, poetry, or prose. Submissions can be sent via email to the editor at editor at laudablepursuit.com. Our whole intent is to discover and share light. Thanks again for listening. Send your show ideas, questions, or comments to podcast at laudablepursuit.com.